Hello and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. Today we're joined by Michael Michelle, and we're going to talk about how to cope with change in the workplace. Michael Michelle is a coach, counselor, writer, actor, and a proud father. He had to struggle down a few different paths to figure out that sometimes in life, what you're good at picks up the phone and won't stop calling you until you answer. Having supported people on six continents, at all levels from kindergartner to Fortune 300 CEO, Michael has counseled thousands, coached hundreds, and feels that supporting people is what he was born to do. With clear strategies, compassionate accountability, and a space of acceptance, Michael supports others to create success at every step of their journey. He focuses on developing leaders and change agents in order to help the world experience not just a better and brighter future, but a better and brighter now. He joins us from Eugene, Oregon. Michael, welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Lisa, I noticed you you were like nodding at that last part. It's like, love oh, yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. A high I love impact it. statement. Yeah, better and brighter future, but a better and brighter now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. I'm super stoked to be on here. Um, Mike, I don't know you well, so forgive me, but Lisa, I know you pretty well. And uh, I just uh, admire the heck out of you. So I feel pretty honored to be here. Thank you. Well, we're very excited to have you here too. And we know that you've got some really great stuff to talk about today. So we'll start off. You have a very interesting career background. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey? Hmm. Well, I, um, I would say my career journey, not just like the jobs journey where we're kind of just like floundering about, uh, my career journey started at a nonprofit where we treated youth with mental health disorders and uh, criminal backgrounds. And I was a teacher for those programs and I was making $11 an hour and seeing my classroom destroyed. One time it got, someone somehow got bleach all over the place, um, having people yell in your face. Oh, I got punched and spit on once. Um, it was a wild time. So after a year of that, got an ulcer and from stress and shifted uh, direction and went and became a weight loss specialist, which was kind of like a, a sales, part sales, part coach, part nutritionist kind of role. And that was a blast. And that would probably be my first touch of coaching, even though I already had a master's in school counseling, um, because they're fairly different. Um, they're fairly, they're, they're diff- they seem similar on the outside. But once you're in them uh, and like being a coach or counselor, they're fairly different roles, really. Uh, and then went on to be a school counselor. Eventually got a job as a school counselor and then got out of education and became a full-time coach and doing all the things I get to do now. Um, I would call it being a passionpreneur because, you know, I get to do the coaching, but then I can also write and do acting and do these other fun things on the side. So that's so cool. Yeah. You like that passionpreneur part? I like that passionpreneur <laughs> part. I think we should put that down and put it up somewhere on the internet and just underneath it, just, you know, quote Michael yeah. Michelle. Let's get it going. I think if, <laughs> everybody, good to me. if everybody uh, is a passionpreneur, uh, I think life gets better across the board. In fact, there's a, there's a quote, and I don't know, I've tried to find who to attribute it to, but it goes like this. The answer to world peace is written on a single line in the heart of every individual. I really stand by that quote 
knowing that if people are pursuing the things they're passionate about, um, all the other concerns and worries and self-deprecations and judgments and blame of other people probably becomes uh, less of a focus. Mm. Well, that seems like a pretty good place to start for our episode today. Yeah. We're talking about change in the workplace and we're all facing so many changes right now in all areas of our lives. Why do changes in the workplace seem to be even more challenging than usual right now? It's an interesting statement because uh, it's like what, I mean, I'm guessing that there's a whole panoply of challenges people are facing uh, in the workplace. And so I guess on an individual level, it's like, well, what, what is making it challenging for each individual? Um, you know, I know how it's making it challenging for me. I don't know how it's making it challenging for, you know, like the nurses currently in the medical system are facing different ones than the educators are facing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or people in sales, what they're facing. So uh, there's that individual piece where it's like, I'd, I'd be curious to know as a coach, like what the individual challenges are, because I believe they would vary from person to person. But one thing, that I think is really probably at the root of it is the fact that I think we, we've all bought into this idea of the 40 hour work week. And it's like, okay, well, you just have to dedicate this huge chunk of time and then you'll get paid and you can go be free and do enjoyable things uh, in your free time and like spend it with the people you love. It's like, great, that sounds awesome. There's places to go, there's people to see, hunky-dory. Well, now, what is it right now? You're still living in that trade-off, but you don't get to experience mm. the freedom, the connection with other people, and the joy of going places. Mm. And so our outlets have been removed currently in the time of COVID. And then it just becomes, I mean, whatever challenge was there before is probably just going to be brought to the surface or amplified, in all honesty. Um, so that's like the social dynamic of what makes it challenging. I would say from a scientific perspective, as you both probably know, uh, whatever is unfamiliar uh, is naturally going to bring up a stress response. And so uh, this isn't the way people are used to doing things. And there's just Mm -hmm. so much adjusting uh, for so many different workplaces. I really, in particular, feel for educators right now. (laughs) Yeah, I come from that world as well. Uh, Michael and I've spent a lot of my, my life in that space. I don't remember a time when I wasn't really around students um, or was one myself. It's kind of all one big line and just to sort of uh, bumped into a friend, honestly, on the weekend uh, who is in teaching and just catching up with him briefly while his, he's with his family at a park. And that's where, that's where we now cross paths, uh, mm-hmm. slight change, but the realities that he was walking me through for him and his colleagues, my former colleagues, actually, it's night and day for them. And every day brings new challenges for them. Yeah. It's the decisions they've made with it are pretty interesting to me. I don't know why they would try to open up, uh, educate, like for those who can do it online, like high school and later middle school, it's like, why not just move it online? That's the easiest minimum viable model for those people because then you can move resources to doing it in person to kindergarten first grade which is really the most important place for development Mm -hmm. i mean there's so many longitudinal studies where it's like intervention kindergarten first grade leads to 
lifetime smoking and like chance of suicide and graduation. And so the fact that we didn't focus all our efforts on making schools safe and um, operable in person for kindergarten, first grade only um, blows my mind. It just doesn't make sense. Um, that would maybe, maybe that comes down to a policy of, oh, it's not equitable. We got some students doing this, some students doing that or something. And, uh, um, but it's, it's really not that, that shouldn't have served as a barrier to what's actually best for everybody's education moving forward. Sorry, a slight soapbox on the educational front. Um, it's a big one because it has downstream effects everywhere else in the workplace. When we get to that, it literally affects everyone who has any family related uh, or going through education in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Can you imagine being, I have so much compassion for the people out there who are, uh, who have family members or who are themselves mothers or fathers who are, have a kindergarten or first grader doing online school currently to sit there and know, to know it's like, Oh, my kindergartner, this is their kindergarten year, which is like one of the most important years for social emotional development oh man, this really sucks. That's going to impact them long-term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just have a lot of compassion for that uh, arena currently. Absolutely. Sorry so, to be a Debbie Downer. No, <laughs> no it's an important topic. Um, yeah. When we think about change though, why do you think it's so important to learn how to cope with change, whether it's as a young person or as an adult um, that affects the workplace? Hmm. Oh man. Why is it important to learn to cope with change? Yeah. Um, Well, change is a universal constant. I mean, even the, even literally the universe itself is never not changing. Our planets are always expanding away from each other. Um, They're always in motion Um, there's nothing that's not changing or decaying, um, at any given point, um, or, or not just decaying, but also being created. So, uh, change is a universal constant. If we don't learn skills to cope with something that is constantly occurring, uh, then we just create constant suffering. Um, that's just the way it is. And so if you can, I would say the benefits of learning, the importance of learning to cope with change will give you more confidence, a greater sense of trust, uh, allow you to be more comfortable being vulnerable because you're not as, you've learned to be not more okay with whatever and less attached to results, right? in fact, there's a mechanism in your brain that I believe it's the cingulate cortex in which when we have an expectation, which an expectation is always a rigid, a rigid measure, if we have an expectation that isn't met, what happens is our brain will fight to uh, bring our, do- our dopamine drops when an expectation isn't met. When our dopamine drops, well, we're always seeking to find equilibrium. So we'll do things quickly, whatever's quick and easiest to bring our dopamine back up. Hmm. Right. So you could think in terms of like how this might be detrimental. It's like, okay, I'm going to grab a beer. I'm going to grab a donut. 
I'm going to, uh, you know, call up the X for, you know, even though it's long-term bad idea, it might <laughs> seem like the right move there. Um, or I'm going to like yell in this person's face um, to feel powerful or something. Uh, so having any kind of uh, rigid expectation or expecting that things will stay the same and not change is literally going to hold you in uh, patterns that don't actually serve whatever your vision of yourself is long-term. It sounds like it would just be a constant fight or flight response to your surroundings. Like, you know, somebody, somebody changes something at work, you now have to work from home or, you know, somebody reorganizes your department and all of a sudden you're in that fight or flight or freeze, I guess, Mm -hmm. response. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just walking. It's like, you're like just kind of walking from room to room and opening doors and stepping through and going, oh, hey, how's it going, everybody? And then you walk in and hang out for a little bit and then you go to the next room rather than walking up to every door. And like, instead of turning the handle and walking in smoothly, you uh, decide you're going to have to beat the door down first and then, and then go in the room. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that metaphor really lands, but you know, I, I like to throw some darts here and there. Yeah. <laughs> See what sticks. It, it sounds like you kind of start to invent ways to bring back that equilibrium that your sort of lack of adaptation to change is is causing like it sounds like almost like a dopamine trap is in place and you can't get out of that trap so something you just said mike uh made me realize that lisa's question um it's like why is it important to cope with change well everybody is always coping with change. Um, it's not that we're not coping with change. It's so maybe the question is more accurate to be, why is it important to find healthy ways to cope with change? Because people, I would say a significant amount of the negative things we see people doing are probably in response to things changing. That's a great point. Makes total sense when you put it that way too. Cool. Let's, let's dive into that a little bit more, actually. So when you think about someone who is, who tends to struggle, let's say, with change, not to paint them too generally, but someone who struggles with change versus someone who thrives or maybe copes with change more effectively, what's the difference that you see between those two sorts of people or approaches? What's the difference between those people? Like, as in what qualities does one person have over another or what's the result of having it or not? What's like the, what's, what's the mindset or how they think or the attitude that they have toward change and coping with change that leads to one being sort of stuck in frustration and unable to sort of reconciliate Mm, their, mm. their challenges versus someone who, who does that a lot better. Yeah, I would say um, definitely acceptance. Uh, 100% it is acceptance. And really, that's, that's really rooted in self-acceptance. Hmm. Um, my definition of acceptance is uh, what is, okay, the objective world that we live in and the feeling tone that it's okay. So it's like, this is what is, and that's okay, right? That's acceptance. 
and not just at like an intellectual level, like, oh yeah, I get that concept. But when you can actually say that and feel it in your bones, in your body, that's experiencing acceptance, right? Mm -hmm. So someone who, uh, you know, you might see like indecision or confusion run when someone is looking to make a choice. Okay. So people who work have experienced this where it's like, oh, I don't know what to do or what to say. And, uh, and this is an, a very general broad stroke of the brush. Okay. If they accepted themselves and were accepting of the situation, they would just pick a fucking path and do it and be okay with the results, knowing that no matter what, they'll be okay. Because life is about trial and error, right? It's not just about finding who you are, but about finding who you are not. It's not just about finding the right path, but taking a quick jog down the wrong path to realize, oh man, this is not the path for me, right? So uh, if you can look in, look in the mirror and know like, okay, I just lost my job or I just went through a breakup or I didn't land this deal with this client or I, I didn't meet my quota. If you can look in the mirror and be like, I'm okay. This is just what's happening now and that's okay and really experience it and feel it, that you are practicing, actively practicing acceptance and you'll have more trust, not just in yourself, but in the choices you make in life. And it just frees up your energy. I mean, who likes, raise your hand if you like uh, suffering about choices, big and small, ones that matter or don't. It's like, wouldn't you just love to be that confident person who just goes, you know what? I'm going to eat the pad thai. <laughs> Not like, a, yep. uh, which one do I? This is something I've actually struggled with. So uh, <laughs> I know it intimately. It's like, oh man, is it the pad thai or the pumpkin curry? Which one? <laughs> They're both going to taste amazing. And if they don't, you won't care. You'll be full and then the meal taste will be gone in an hour or 20 minutes, whatever. Just pick something, quit wasting your time. I honestly give myself one minute to decide now. I'll just be like, one minute to decide. What is it? That's awesome. That's a good exercise. Yeah, I think that's so relevant to career decisions too. So many people get so stuck worrying about if they're making the right choice. And yeah, it's important to really know about yourself and know what's going to make you happy or make you really not happy. But at the same time, if you constantly are killing yourself over every decision that you have to make in your work, it's, it's definitely going to be challenging. I should, I should just offer my services as like a flat fee every month. Anytime you want, call me if you're facing a decision and I'm just going to go, all right, you got two minutes, go, which, what is it? You've got <laughs> two minutes down. and then the decision's made. This is over in two minutes. I don't care which, because the truth is, uh, I actually just had a great conversation with my daughter about this. I called her and I was like, yo, what do you think? Cause I always talk to her about fun stuff and I was auditioning for a role and I was like, I don't know which role to do. I said this one, this one, or this one. As soon as I asked her, I knew in the back of my head, I definitely really like this one. And this is the one I'm leaning toward and want. But I asked her and she went into like, dad, you know, she's like, well, you should do this or that or whatever. And I was like, Ella, let's talk about advice giving and how it actually <laughs> works. Because the chances are, if someone's asking you for advice on something or they say, it's one of these three things, what should I do? The truth is 
they already are probably leaning toward one choice. Like there's for what there's one that they're like, that's actually, that's the one I actually want, but they've made some weird, you know, structure around that idea of like, well, maybe there's a right choice or a right path, or it'll give me this result, whatever. And so I told her all this and she gave me, she was like, well, which one do you think? I was like, so try again. Like, instead of offering advice, always ask them first, like, well, is there one that you resonate with more? Or is there one you're uh, more excited about? And she asked some great question. I was like, oh my gosh, she gets it. It was something like, well, which one would you love to say you did? Something like that. I was like, wow, that's brilliant. And then I said the one that I actually wanted to do. And that's the one I did. Um, and it was the right choice for sure. So. That's awesome. Hmm. All right. So when you think about a workplace and change happening, what kind of challenges do you see stem from change in general? Well, when I answer this, I don't want to necessarily answer it in a way that makes it sound like challenges will ever not exist, mm -hmm. right? Or like even create this idea that challenges are somehow separate from every situation in our lives. Like really I'm, I'm orienting toward it more as um, challenges are always present and they're here and they're completely objective, right? They are just what is, that's kind of going back to what I said about acceptance. Like it's just an objective thing that's there. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really our subjective judgment that we bring to it that creates our idea, I think of challenge, right? So I'm trying to differentiate here the difference between objective challenges and subjective challenges, I guess. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like intuitively I can see a difference and I'll, I'll maybe try and take a stab at, at describing the difference here, the distinction, like an objective challenge is a hurdle and the subjective challenge is our approach to getting over that hurdle. Great. That's yep. how I would put it. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And uh, you can imagine that depending on how the athlete tackling this challenge um, is holding it, that it might actually impact the way they approach it. Right. Um, like if they are just so in the flow, no mind whatsoever and completely, uh, you know, they've already accepted, for instance, okay, this is, this is actually great. Um, for instance, they've already accepted that sometimes when you try to jump hurdles, uh, you might trip on the hurdle and fall on your face in front of friends, family, or maybe even a stadium full of people. Um, if they've accepted it, then it no longer holds power over them. And therefore they're more in their body and not their head as they're running. And the ideal, I mean, I've played a lot of sports, right? A lot of competitive sports. The more you are in the flow, like the brain is not running. You are just being your muscles. Just, you just trust your subconscious and you move as you're going to, right? You're, you're more likely to glide over those hurdles. Mm -hmm. At least that's my personal opinion, given, you know, all of my sporting experiences. Um, yeah, because even if an athlete's thinking like, oh shit, what if I trip? They might look down and uh, where your eyes go, your body tends to follow. Mm 
um, I actually had this experience training my, uh, helping my daughter ride a bike. She kept doing this thing where as she started to pedal, she'd look down at her feet and then just, you know, immediately turn and fall off. And, uh, she would tell me, she's like, dad, I don't want your help. She's like, I don't want. <laughs> and, uh, I thought that was funny. So all I'd say is like, look to where you want to go, look to where you want to go. And so when she started just looking ahead, she, her brain couldn't focus on her feet or what her legs were doing. And it didn't need to do that. Her body knew what her body knows how to move its feet in a circle. Right. So that's just a big part of it is just trusting your subconscious and trusting your body. In fact, I talk a lot in my support skills group. It's like, get out of, I'll teach you these skills and like practice them in your head, I guess, if you want to practice them in your head, but also learn to just drop out of them and just listen with your whole being to people. Um, cause that, that's going to let you be more present and really help them the most. So those, that's just a few examples. Mm -hmm. I, I want to just jump on that. Cause I feel like we're going somewhere really profound right now. When we think about dealing with challenge in the workplace, if you can, focus on the future, hmm. just be and move past the changes or hurdles that you see coming at you, then you're more likely to be able to, to cope with change in a very positive way. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's actually what you just said. Almost that ties like almost parallel completely to my definition of success which is uh, success is being dedicated to improving yourself and your life every single day while also being dedicated to accepting who you are and where you're at at every step. Hmm. So as you both probably know or experience, people are typically better at one of those than the other. It's like they can just accept where they're at. It's like, oh, I'm good. I don't have like as much ambitions or whatever. Or they're like, I have so much ambition, but like I'm always driven. And I think true success, you know, you could end up being one of those people who's like a millionaire and has all this like uh, respect in the work community, business community, but they feel unfulfilled at the end of their life. And then you have people, uh, you know, who haven't attained the things they always wanted to and feel a little jaded, but it's like, if you can do both of those things and consistently just bounce back and forth between them or embody them both at the same time, uh, I imagine that right now and in the future, you will feel satisfaction and fulfillment and like you're actually creating the vision you have for yourself in your life. So I love what you said, Lisa. That's, I agree hundred um, percent. If we're talking, how do you accept, right? Well, Anytime we desire behavior change, and Lisa, you'd probably agree with this. Um, it's like anytime we're talking to a client, they want something to be different, right? Something they want change or, you know, it's like um, it's always there. And there is a lag between desired behavior change, aka like um, I want to be accepting and uh, functionally changed behavior. AKA I have now mastered the skill of acceptance or damn near close, right? So there's this big gap separating those two points. And it takes a lot of uh, something I don't see people 
doing as much as being patient with themselves, right? Um, and in that gap, because I know in my experience of any behavior change I've tackled, and I'm still tackling years and years later, it's like you might only do the thing one out of a hundred times. Like, so in, for instance, I'll use like, um, you want to have a better work-life balance. And so wouldn't it be great if you went to the gym, right? It's like, ah, oh, I just love to be healthier. I remember the days of college when I'd work out every other day. And it's like, oh, I'd love to be healthier. Um, and yet you go to the gym starting out, even though you're aware, right? The desire changes there. It's like, I would love to go to the gym twice this week. But for two months, you go one out of 75 times, okay? Well, some people might not be able to sit in that discomfort where they're aware of the desire change, but don't yet have it, okay? So um, it takes patience and practice to be able to create it, but you just keep going. You keep dancing with the discomfort that the behavior change has not yet occurred. So, um, you know, you maybe eventually a year later go 10 out of 75 times. And then three years later, it's at 40 out of 75 times. And then at some time in the future, uh, and it might happen faster or slower for some people, depending on the behavior um, and the person, you're, you're hitting 99% of the time doing what you say you'll do. Uh, at that point, you've not only functionally changed a behavior, you've changed a narrative about who you are as a person. You've created a feedback loop that it lights you up to attach your identity to is someone who can go to the gym when they say they will. Right. Mm -hmm. And so with acceptance, uh, it's like, well, what is the thing to practice in that gap of discomfort that will allow them to be like, I'm someone who's just, you know, I can accept, I accept myself and I accept you, Mike, and you, Lisa. Right. Well, uh, the first thing it, acceptance is great because you can practice it all the time. Anytime you're having like feelings or thoughts, like you're afraid or, and you hate being afraid or you're just dumping on yourself with like all kinds of self-deprecation and judgment or somebody else, you can say, uh, it's okay. You're just doing this. It's okay. You know, permission, just, it's all right. I accept that I'm not accepting this person. I accept that I'm not accepting myself. Um, it's okay to be stressed out right now. Um, and if you can do that, you can actually start to, of course, do it on the other side as well. Accept the great things about yourself that people give you. You know, someone gives you a compliment. It's like, thank you. I appreciate it. Right. And so you can practice acceptance in these really little ways. Even the thing I said earlier, it's like one minute to decide at dinner. Right. Make those one minute decision, put a little timer on, get everybody at the dinner table engaged, right? Okay, everybody, we got one minute. Who's going to do it? Um, do is a social experiment, but practice doing, uh, just saying to yourself, this is what I'm experiencing and that's okay, really. And just keep asking yourself, is it okay? Until you can feel it in your body, that it is okay. And once you feel it in your body, you probably stop you probably won't think about it anymore in that time frame. Um, so be patient and accept that you might not be accepting. It takes practice. I feel like, so one of the major changes that I think a lot of people are really hoping for 
in the workplace is around diversity, inclusion, and equity. And change can seem like a long road. And so I think that this, this idea of acceptance and this idea of, you know, you're not going to be perfect at it right away, but you have to be okay with the fact that you're not going to be perfect at it right away is a huge, huge point to think about when it comes to this type of change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, well, there's, um, you know, what is ideological and then there's what's functional. And then there's like a real, there's that, that zone where it's not quite the comfort zone and it's not quite like where we're breaking. Right. And burning. That's, that's where people just in general, it's like, that's when burnout happens. That's when you tear a muscle. You know, I think about myself in terms of exercise, cause I'm always forcing things. Right. Mm. But in my old age, I've learned you can't, <laughs> you can't force that. I'd rather be like nice and like limber as I lift weights or whatever. Um, and so it's finding that sweet spot of um, progress. It kind of goes back to the definition of success that I promoted earlier. It's like, you're always dedicated to improving while also being dedicated to accepting. Um, and, you know, acceptance in the diversity and inclusion world is, I mean, just in terms of like what's happening right now in America between conservatives and progressives, uh, I, I understand the perspective of both sides, right? Not to say that I agree or disagree with, you know, I agree with and disagree with all kinds of different individuals and all kinds of sides. I would say the majority of people are somewhere in the middle of that whole debate. And we only really hear news about uh, the fringe five to 10% on either end. Hmm. But something uh, that where acceptance plays into that is acceptance. Why do people believe what they believe? People are going to believe alongside people who treat them well and accept them, right? And so say, um, say you're a young person on either side of the spectrum. I'll just use a conservative, for example. Um, say you're a young conservative in a conservative family and your uh, family is fairly accepting, but then you fall into a group of friends who are also um, from conservative families and they're even more conservative and they're really accepting of you as an individual person, you are going to almost guaranteed adopt those beliefs, right? Um, and so if you have someone who disagrees with you in some way and you want to really actually affect change for them, in a way that serves them, you, and society as a whole, a three-way win, uh, then the only way you're really gonna get there is if you started a baseline of acceptance of them as a person and seeing like something about them to accept, right? To look beyond the differences, to find common ground. Mm-hmm. And that's gonna start to make a difference and they might feel like, man, this person accepts me and they have a different viewpoint. I maybe would consider entertaining their stance. And then they maybe go and say, hey, I met this guy. Not all, not all uh, 
midliners are all, not all progressives are complete idiots. You know, he was like a pretty cool dude or whatever. Right. And so I think that what we're missing currently in the, um, the diversity and inclusion world and in politics in general, and I think it's perpetuated by politics to a great extent, they don't want there to be an, a baseline of acceptance. They want division um, because it promotes each side, you know, Democrats and Republicans. It keeps them both in power and keeps a two-party system in operation. I mean, I still have, I have conversations with people. Uh, I was just having a conversation with a friend the other night who was like, I might vote for Trump. I'm a, I might be a Republican, which I immediately, you know, point out. It's like, well, that would be hypocritical given you just said you want to vote for whoever's not a part of the two parties. And he was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and he's, he's a, a great friend, but, um, you know, my friendships are, they really revolve around acceptance of the individual and knowing that regardless of that person's um, other beliefs that they are, they've got your back, that there's, you know, you can turn to them in difficult times. And so um, even with all the different viewpoints among my friend groups, which span the whole spectrum of viewpoints in the current political uh, dynamic of America, that we do have this baseline, like we can say whatever to each other because we accept each other. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's true friendship. Yeah. It makes tons of sense. And I see that really being applicable to more than just conversations of, uh, politics or diversity, equity, and inclusion. I could see that probably translating pretty well when it comes to an employee talking to their direct superior, even though there are some power dynamics in play there, the, ability I feel like to kind of look a little bit past that to the acceptance point to, to find and search out for that common ground and use that as the basis of your relationship and communication as opposed to a hierarchy. Absolutely. And in terms of like a manager, um, if, if that baseline of acceptance isn't there, uh, it, it's just gonna, it's just gonna cloud things up mm -hmm. down. I mean, yeah, the, the managers I've talked to who do a really great job and invoke the greatest results from their employees, uh, they're very, they self-acceptance, obviously, again, the root, like they've learned that skill. Um, and, and they're accepting of the person, right? Because when you can accept the person, you're bringing them in. And when you bring them in, it's the feedback process is, is simpler, mm -hmm. right? They're going to trust you more. It's going to be a stronger relationship. They're going to respect what you have to say. And you're actually going to respect what they have to say too, because thinking that learning rolls downhill only is, uh, it's foolish, complete foolishness. Um, I, my, my daughter teaches me things. I'll literally ask my 12 year old. It's like, what do you, what do you think I should do for marketing? You know? And uh, she'll give me great, great advice. You know, just the, just the other day, she said, I was like, what do you think I should do for my Instagram post today? And she said, I think you should just post a link and say, just click the link 
and draw like six arrows to it. She's like, I hate when people explain things and they're like, if you're feeling X, Y, Z and need like a blah, 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 then click the link. She's like, just be direct. Aggressive is good. I was like, aggressive? I don't know about that. But it's still, it's like, even though it might not be my style, I might throw one in there at some point, but it might not be my style. It's still, um, oh, like I've not thought of that. And here's a, a 12 year old giving me a quick lesson on how some people think. Cause she says, dad, I use social media a lot, which I'm not a huge fan of, but apparently it helps me, I guess too, um, indirectly. But she says, I use it a lot. I know what I want to click and what I don't. I'm like, That's a good point. probably more than me. Cause I don't click on it. <laughs> there we go. My market awesome. research. Yeah. That's awesome. So Michael, um, it's really cool. First of all, it seems like you love to tell stories in many different ways. And I'm wondering if you might be able to share a few more stories of what you might call successful change or successful workplace change or successful professional change, things that come to mind for you that demonstrate some of the things we've discussed. Yeah, I've got two jump to mind. So just in terms of like a personal change, I used to be like 10 years ago, literally, a, you know, yeah, a decade ago, I was 24. Um, I was 240 pounds. I was pretty unhappy in a marriage that um, uh, neither person wanted, right? Like it wasn't working. And I owned a home I didn't really want. Had a car, cars I didn't want to buy, pets that I actually had not. I wanted one of them. Um, I had to call my wife at the time and say, Hey, um, do we have enough money in the bank for an air for me to buy an Arizona tea? 99 cents. Right. That's, that's, that's the desperation level there. Um, this was during that, the Bush recession. And, uh, I just remember I was changing my one and a half year old daughter's diaper one day. And I looked over in the mirror and I was wearing like a blue robe. And, uh, I was like, Oh, good Lord, Michael. What happened to you, man? What is going on here, buddy? Uh, this is not you. It's just not. And so I started making all these changes and, um, you know, guys, we ended up getting a divorce. Uh, I lost 60 pounds. Um, I got really into counseling. Um, I am not in debt. Uh, well, I mean, I've got school debt, but who doesn't? Uh, and I do I'll say this, I can buy as many Arizona teas as I want when I go out now. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I actually just had a conversation with my um, my daughter's mom, the person who we didn't want that. We had a great chat today. And I was like, oh, I just really appreciate how far we've come. Like, just had a good conversation. It was like appreciation toward each other. Um, and it took work. But, you know, like, that was just... And, and here I am now, you know, I've got doing acting. I'm getting to write all the time. I've got my coaching programs, um, love my daughter and I have good friends. It, it's just, uh, yeah, it's super cool to be able to look what can look at what can change over the course of a decade. Um, as far as a professional change. So when I grew up, I was the red card every day kid, you know, like, uh, I even, I was getting in fights in like first and second grade. Um, 
I would never raise my hand. I probably had ADHD. Um, in fact, I remember one time this, the counselor coming in and teaching, giving us like a hand raising lesson. And I remember thinking as like a first grader, is this for me? This is for me. Like, like this is for me. <laughs> she's, she's doing the whole class so that I learn it. Cause I know because oh I've God. done it as a counselor. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just terrible. Really rough on the self-esteem obviously. And as a school counselor, it was my goal to get rid of card systems. So there's the, uh, one of the schools I worked at was like yellow, red, green, and a black card. It was like the worst. I was like a black card. Gee, many Christmas. Let's get rid of this for sure. And uh, they even came up, teachers came up with this clever thing called a rainbow chart. And it's like, oh, we aren't doing a card system. It's a rainbow chart. Pretty much just the colors are better. It's still used as a way to demerit kids who aren't doing the right thing. So I brought in, I got trained in this um, behavior development program. And if you're doing behavior management right, you call it behavior development because that's ideally what you're evoking in kids. You're developing the behaviors you want to see more of. And uh, I promoted it and tracked like, like data for um, classroom distractions and interruptions and implemented it uh, at the elementary school. And uh, we got rid of the card systems like I even took a video one time of the teacher like ripping up all the cards and they were able to get rid of them because the behaviors in that school were um, drastically decreased and they were doing really well. But the relationships to present the data and be like, so your room has 378 distractions per hour. This teacher who is implementing the system without cards has 12. Hmm. What do you see about that? You know, wow. being able to and then showing them their own progress when they started implementing things. Um, it was not comfortable, especially as like a young school counselor um, working with educators who'd been there 20, 30 years. But if you can really dedicate yourself to something, track the data, show what you're doing, show the benefits and um, just stick with it, uh, you, can, you can make an impact. And for me, it was also obviously very sweet because you know, I knew those kids weren't getting that red card. And my daughter had red bears, green bears, yellow bears. And she was getting red bears all the time because, you know, she'd listen for 50% of the teachers saying, then she'd start on the assignment. <laughs> She's like, but she'd miss the directions because she'd start before that. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, lots of different kids in the classroom doesn't mean we need to um, demerit them with red bears. Uh, so that was, that was a personal change uh, in my career that I really was proud of. Cool. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing those. So we like to talk a little bit about fun when it comes to work, because we believe that there should be some level of fun, whatever that means to you. So mm -hmm. what would you say is the most fun that you've had in your career so far? I would say the most fun I'm having is right now. I get to just solve creative problems every day and figure out how to do things differently or in a way that really relates to people. I'm getting to help people um, create amazing things. Um, I have free time and flexibility to do things I love. And uh, yeah, it feels really meaningful. Um, so I really don't do anything that I don't love in a day, awesome. even though sometimes I really should. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. And what would you say is the biggest risk you've taken in your career and how did it turn out? 
the biggest risk I took was leaving education. It was really interesting. I'd already been coaching a couple years while I was doing school counseling. It was just slowly like, it was like go down from full-time and a little coaching to 0.75 and a little more coaching to half-time and half coaching. Um, and then I made the jump. And the year I made the jump, uh, I actually was my last. This is a cool story. This is like synchronicity happening. The last day that... I was going in as that I went into a school as a school counselor. Um, I got an email that morning from a woman that was in charge of this summer program where they recredit, they recredential teachers, right? So you go to this week long, 10 hour day uh, thing as a teacher and you get credits, college credits, right? And I had actually been to this uh, two years prior and I told my uh, co-workers that I was with, I was like, I want to be one of these people up front doing the trainings one day. Like, I'm going to do that for sure. And I'm going to do it on like coachy stuff, right? My last day out of the blue, the lady who ran that program reached out and was like, hey, would you be available for like a workshop uh, for this thing? And I was like, boom, universe is giving me the nod. This is the right move for me. Um, very yeah. Cool. And so that's, that's, and it was extremely difficult for like the next year. And then, um, you know, it's been pretty good ever since. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it was, that was crazy. That was crazy to get that. The workshop did not go great. She did not tell them what I was going to teach them on. And it was a very challenging. It was like, I'm going to challenge you. And they were like, no, we're just here to get credits, bro. <laughs> like, uh, but I got a couple clients out of it who are, who got a ton of benefits. So um, I was good with that. So cool. nice. Yeah. That's what showing up does. What would you say is the best piece of career advice you've ever received? Hmm. You're more ready than you think. Love it. There might've yeah. been, you are at the end of that. I'm not sure. You're more ready than you think you are You're more ready than you think either way. Great advice. It lands. Yeah had a big impact on you, eh? Yeah, I actually, uh, believe it or not, got that more recently. And mm -hmm. it was in regard to acting. Um, cool. Awesome. And, uh, it's playing out, still to be determined. But then I also recognize like, oh yeah, when I actually made um, some upshifts for greater progress in prior career positions, anytime that I was like, this is happening, here I go. I could sit here and on the sideline and worry and fret, um, or I'm just going to step up. It has worked out well. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times with coaching too, like, okay, you're going to now do a thing in front of 30 people, 50 people. Here you go. Step up or step back. Yeah. Um, so. Awesome. Very, very cool. You have a couple of exciting things launching right now. Can you talk a little bit about those and where people can find out more about what you're doing? Great question. Um, yeah. So uh, I am running, uh, me and my business partner are launching a program in January called The Art of Confidence, Change Your Insecurity, Trust Your Choices, and Take Consistent Action. 
And uh, this one's really near and dear to me. It's, it's pretty much all the things I've been working with people around for years, uh, but boiled down into self-paced online curriculum with weekly direct support uh, interwoven for those who want it. Um, and the one thing I always get from people I work with is like, oh, my confidence has increased. And I realized that that's actually my change journey is I was not confident mm. 10 years ago. And now, you know, I often get the feedback that I'm very confident. So I realized it was uh, a very uh, synchronistic thing for us to do a program around. And um, that's actually the only program we're doing right now. I have that other one I mentioned, The Art of Relating. But that's only for people who've gone through coaching with me um, and have an interest in learning how to really think in the terms that I think in and support people in the way that I support people. Um, so that's kind of like a, a program after that art of confidence for anyone who's ready for uh, the long haul with old coach here. Um, but yeah, that's it. And you can find me at michaelmichelle.coach. That's Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L and Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L. There is no L-E at the end. Just mm -hmm. M-I-C-H-E-L. Looks like Mitchell. Uh, michaelmichelle.coach or my Instagram is michael.coach.michelle. And we are currently enrolling for the Art of Confidence. So if you're interested, hit me up and I might give you a little gift if you mention uh, Lisa or Mike's podcast here. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. You can definitely put some links into in place for that uh for our dear listener to tune into and go find you after they're done with this episode. Cool. Thanks Lovely. For Thank you very much. Sweet. Michael, it's been an awesome conversation with you. One of those moments where we just get to jump on and have an idea of where we might go in the conversation. And it turns out that we visited some pretty cool places and covered some pretty amazing ground. So thank you for all of that. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Um, you are pretty amazing people. I just you both have this like, calm coolness about you uh that i so respect like uh calm is not one of the words people often ascribe to me but uh i see it in both of you and admire it greatly so thanks for setting up this space and allowing me to give voice to some of the things that i'm passionate about thank Our you pleasure. so much for sharing yeah fantastic let's call it a week at that for the career builders podcast i'm mike bird i'm lisa Blaine. Our guest, Michael Michelle, the coach. Go check him out. We hope you're well, and we hope you will join us again soon. Bye for now. <laughs>